This is Catalog and Cocktails. Presented by Data.World. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Catalog and Cocktails. It's your honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management presented by Data.World. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime product guy, customer guy, and data nerd at Data.World, joined by Juan. Hey, everybody. I'm Juan Cicada, principal scientist at Data.World. And as always, a pleasure, end, uh, middle of the week, end of the day, and uh, that time to go just take a break and chat about data. And today we're going to be talking about a topic that I always wonder, why don't we talk more about it? Because I always believe it's everywhere, but it's something that we don't talk about it. And I think we have the, the best person probably on earth to be able to talk about this. We have, I'm so excited to have Jeff Jonas here. He's a CEO of Senzine. He's a former IBM fellow, which I think was the most amazing things that can happen at IBM and a renowned expert on entity resolution. Jeff, it is a pleasure and honor to have you as a guest here at Catalan Cocktails. How are you doing? Hey, I'm great. I'm sitting in Brooklyn. Good. Uh, all right. Well, I'm, I'm still here in uh, Playa del Carmen. Uh, so if it, things are loud, it's just because this is how life is over here. <laughs> Where are you, Tim? I am at uh, the Lost Pines Resort, uh, Hyatt, a uh, little bit off uh, east of Austin, where we just had our executive offsite. Um, it's very nice out here. Some pleasant trails and things like that. A little muddy, though, uh, but uh, enjoying the Austin weather today. Awesome. So, all right, we got our tell and toast, so let's kick it off. What are we drinking and what are we toasting for today? Jeff, take kick oh, it off. Oh, well, uh, I am drinking a mocktail because it's kind of still in the middle of my work day. It's a grapefruit-oriented sparkling water. I do have it in a fancy glass with some cubes. And I would be toasting to the beauty of adding more data to getting better answers and better decisions. Well, I'm, I'm going to toast for we need, we need to have less garbage in. We need to eliminate the garbage in, garbage out thing. So I think this is all about uh, let, let's really start understanding the value, the knowledge around the data, make sure that we have really beautiful data to make better decisions. <clears throat> with. I'm having a pina colada today. Actually, I don't think I've ever had this cocktail here uh, during the show. How about you, Tim? What, what are you up to? It's pretty good. I've got some uh, uh, vodka and uh, Sprite over here. So keeping it very, very simple. Uh, so, uh, but, but enjoying, enjoying the, uh, in, uh, the, the libations as well. So what should right. we cheers to? Data, more data. Good. Very much more nice. good quality data. That's for sure. We need <laughs> but one, I want a comment on that. Oh, wait, we're going to do cheers now. Okay. Cheers. Juan, what if I said to you that errors and natural variability, variability in the data actually made systems smarter? And let me Let's give you an example of this, okay? When you search Google and it says, did you mean this? It's not looking in a dictionary. It's remembered people's errors. Similarly, in my space, natural variability, misspellings. My brother's name's Rody, but some people don't know how to spell that. They haven't seen it, so they misspell it. It turns out those errors in the data later can become your friend bad data good huh so, so i think those one thing is uh i think they're observations of what's occurring in the world and then they can be interpreted in different ways and they can be interpreted as an error but then at the end of the day it's just this is what actually happened and then we want to learn from those things so i think uh we, we learn from what others can consider errors so i think that is a very good accurate point that um there's a lot to be learned from errors I, and by the way, I, I see the world is filled with observations. What, what we observe as humans and what systems observe, what they collect in their in their eyeballs, so to speak, is observations. By the way, another example of bad data good is I have a son that has two dates of birth. It's a bad daddy, very embarrassing story. Okay, but but I'll tell you really fast. I know I'm forcing it on you. You even started the thing. Okay, get this. <clears throat> My kid's born on September second. Okay. But I, in my head, get it wrong. I convince the grandparents, the mom, everybody that it's September 5th. We celebrate this kid's birthday on September 5th for years, okay? Now he's like five or six. I get his birth certificate so I can take him to Mexico. And to my surprise, his birthday's wrong. And he first, you go, how do you sell it to your kid? You know, you teach him their birthday and now you're like, I got it wrong your whole life. <clears throat> but imagine if you put the same birthday in a bunch of systems, healthcare systems, Ricky Rick magazine or whatever, and five years later, you see one bad date of birth. How does ever dissent fester and become dominant? 
if I, if every system in its right mind cleaned out the one, because there was 200 pieces of evidence about September 5th. So it turns out this is another case where bad data can be your friend because you have to let it fester. Okay, fine. Enough about that bad data. Oh, no, no. We got, we got, we got more of this to go. But all right. Well, <laughs> actually, this is a great segue into our warm up question, which is what is something you thought to be true in life that ended up being false? <clears throat> I just realized that maybe you could only have one birthday, but apparently, yeah, you can have two. <laughs> Plenty of cases, actually, where um, bad data can be your friend. But, um, I mean, you want me to really take a shot at that or should we just? Yeah, please, please. I have, <laughs> you have something profound to say well, on that. I would have thought in my maybe early 20s that, you know, you get married and you just stay married and you be married. But now that I have three ex-wives, <laughs> oh, and I'm a good ex. <laughs> I, I, now to me, relates to the thing I'm, I've been convinced out of is uh, relationships are arcs, you know, and they have beginnings and middles and ends and you do them as long as they're as they're everybody's winning. I think that's, I that's very deep. On that. This is the data story. The data story is I have a lot of data on that. Okay. <laughs> With my ex-wives. What'd you say? How about you, Tim? What's yours? Yeah. What were you going to say? Tim? Uh, I was just saying, I think that's, I think that's deep. Um, you know, relationships are, are, uh, are an investment and they're also, you know, they go in all sorts of different directions. Um, uh, you know what? Uh, I, I always think that words mean certain things and then I find out later that they mean something different. I'm, I'm terrible with the, the, the purity of semantics and what they mean. And so I'll, I know that's kind of a generic thing. I can't think of a specific word because I probably don't have it at the tip of my tongue. It's part of the problem. Uh, but I mess up words all the time. So that's stuff that I, I think is true and ends up being false. Words matter. But all right, let's, let's, let's dive in here. So Jeff, honest, no BS. If entity resolution is everywhere... Why don't we apparently realize it? Well, I don't know, man. It, I struggle with this. Like, why? How come it's so buried? For part, part of the reason, I think, is it has so many names. It comes in so many forms. Some people heard of, uh, like, match merge in marketing or database marketing list append where you're adding some new, new fields. You know, you have, to entity, you have to match it to something. Link detection, fuzzy record matching. Oh, man, there's a lot of um patient record matching these there's like 50 terms for it but it sits underneath and it's the bane of analytics because is it really three people or one like how good can analytics be if you can't count that's the entity resolution is really counting your entities you know is it is it how many customers do we really have by the way you have duplicates in your phone you know have you, i bet you have a few dupes in your phone huh that's an entity resolution problem. But that, that's crazy, man, because you're the only curator. Imagine that. You're the only curator. There's dupes in your phone. Imagine if you're a bank, an insurance company, social service agency. They have all these people entering stuff. Man, they got, you think you got dupes. It's, it's everywhere. This is a fascinating definition. Entity resolution is really just about counting your entities. Yeah. Knowing how many entities you have. I think that's a very clean, crisp uh, definition right there that we need to be able to understand. So it's like not just linking things together, but also like du deduplication and so forth around that. And yeah, it's so, so many different names. I mean, even if you go to the Wikipedia article about entity resolution, it's like, and all these different names that this thing has, right? So that's definitely one of the things. But it, if I look at like, if we look at the tech stacks, all the modern data stacks, everything out there, <clears throat> there's the the databases, right? There, there There's the analytics and all these, but there isn't the there's, there isn't the tool that people are buying for entity resolution. Like, why is that the case? It's, or, it's some ETL flows, you know? Most people are trying to build it themselves, but they don't. It's not obvious to folks that you could spend $20 million in five years and have something that's still not very good and not very competitive and definitely not agile. And it doesn't let you to pivot into new markets. And then you add some new data source and get some new features. And now you got a Twitter handle and you got an IP address and this and that. And now you have to go back to your data scientists and they're like, the, they studied the dark art of entity resolution and they will work for you the rest of their lives. That's kind of like the state of the union. But the, the headline is if you can't count, you can't, you can't estimate and predict. Whether you're trying to do marketing or risk score, whether you're trying to figure out whether you should sell them something or shoot them with a laser from space, man, if you can't count your entities... You miss you miss the obvious. You right resources. 
you know, I think that's a great way to kind of simplify things. And, you know, to, to riff Juan off of what you were saying, people talk about a lot of different concepts when they think about this area of entity resolution, right? Record matching, link detection, fuzzy matching, deduplication. Um, do you see those things as all kind of being within the umbrella of entity resolution? Do you see them as being different? How, how do you think about all these different terms and, and, and what, how they all relate? It's all the same thing. Whether you're finding duplicates in a single data source, call that a vertical dupe, or you're trying to combine it with secondary data to get, you know, to get matches across there because you're learning new columns or, you know, is it how many records in this system are in the, in the same in that system? You're all just trying to figure out how many unique entities. And, you know, another way to view this is, you know, every pile of data in an organization is just like a different pile of puzzle pieces, you know, like the blue puzzle pieces over there, it's in the CRM and the red puzzle pieces are over there because you've done some investigations. And then the gold puzzle pieces over there, are your high rollers and the blah, blah, blah. And the question is, can you figure out how you're, how they all relate to each other. And if you can't see that, you just, these people building machine learning models on data that's not been properly resolved. I'm telling you, these models that don't know, they think you have three customers when it's one. Hey, crazy funny story. I know somebody that wasn't my stuff, okay, because well, that would be bad, but they had some bad entity matching and they put somebody on the quarantine COVID bus, but it was a bad match because they're supposed to be on the green bus, not the red bus. You know, you know what? After five minutes, they were on the right bus <laughs> because uh, they were exposed. They have to leave them on there. It's been two weeks in quarantine. Ouch. Well, That's a bad mistake. All right. So, Let's go into the technical side, because I think for one one perspective, actually, it was a conversation we had last week uh, with uh, with Malcolm Hawker, who actually called you out as a, as the next guest. I'm like, hey, guess what? He is actually. Oh, yeah. Great. So let's talk about let's talk about kind of the history. And we're, we're looking at MDM master data management as kind of like the traditional. I always call it the old school approach of just managing all your records and creating that quote unquote single version of the truth type of approach. Like what are. Where are we right now within technology? Let's talk about technology. How have we been doing this today? What is the limits of the technology that we are today? And like, what are we hoping for? What what is what is missing? And, and, and how are you? How are you, how are those gaps being filled? Well, uh, on the I'll say the long arc of time since I've been building entity resolution systems since I was like twenty two years old, and and then built five different generations, and then sold fifth gen to IBM, and then then had the, a vision. Woo! vision on how to build another engine as a as a general state of the union is it's very expensive it's complicated the results are pretty iffy it's very hard to do yourself and some of the evidence of this by the way is there has been three quarters of a billion dollars in in venture capital or growth funding in the last five years for entity resolution center companies i know single companies that have raised a quarter of a billion dollars each i know two quarter billion each that have very strong entity resolution. That's how, that's expensive. And then you can go on with the other list of names, but there's an enormous amount of money that's been going into it. But the state of the union is for the most part, it's very expensive, very long projects, and it's hard to get a lot of joy out of it. And I'm, I mean, my purpose in life has become, it wasn't this a while back, but it has become this is like, can we not just commoditize it so it's available for everybody? To get the good stuff, man, if you don't have at least a million dollars, I heard about a project I just heard today that somebody said they got their false positives out of their banking system, but the project was nine digits. That's a hundred million dollars <laughs> or more. That's, That's an incredible level of investment. And it, that kind of makes me wonder, you know, people talk about like, for example, master data management, right? And I know that you can invest in a master data management software tool set for Quite a bit, quite a bit cheaper than nine digits, right? Yeah. But it, it seems like that some of these projects are at a very different scale. Um, is that is that true? Like some of these like really massive and challenging entity resolution problems are they at a very are they a very different mm -hmm. class of problem than master data management yeah. type solutions, yeah. or or are they actually is it you know is it a slider a gradient? You know, when you get to systems that have a billion records, 
a billion identities, name, address, phone. That's a record, not counting all the names and all the addresses and all the phones. Like each, each identity is a record. When you get into billions or tens of billions of records, how to make those systems scale and stay accurate, how to make them real time so you don't have to do a batch reload. How'd you like that? You have 10 billion records loaded. You don't want to load 10 new records. You're like, well, just reboil the ocean. Well, that is not green. <laughs> so it's, you know, as you get to larger scales and you can't all do it in memory, your techniques have to change. But what the, what the, what the history has been is it's been pretty expensive, million basically minimum to get into really decent entity resolution. You can easily spend five, 10 million or more. And the, and the question is, what about everybody else? And so part of what I've been trying to do is create something that the smallest little nonprofits can use for chump change and still have to, you know, not just the elite. It's not just for the elite. Like everybody can, anybody can do it. So this is an interesting point that ent entity resolution is for the elite. So either you have That's to invest, you to get it right, you have to invest a lot, a lot of money as we're, as we're talking here. Otherwise you just kind of don't do it or you do a crappy job about that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it is, is if you want to buy entity resolution is for the elite. And if you want to work on it yourself, I mean, I know organizations with 50 people, 100 people. I know some organizations with hundreds of people that are working on entity resolution. It's it is that hard. It's it's crazy. I mean, from, a like, from a basic perspective, you see people, I don't know, doing stuff in SQL and doing some some fuzzy match. I mean, that's basic stuff. And maybe that gets yeah. there. And if you're a small organization, you only got 50 people, you still got a customer's like, maybe that's the best you can do because you can't afford. It's, mm -hmm. it's not it's a problem, but not a big enough problem that's going to warrant more, more uh, investment on that. But then it seems that at some point, like that, the, the, the stuff that you can do yourself just breaks. And then there's like this gap. There's like either you just kind of live in this really bad world until you really need to invest a shit ton of money to go do this correctly. Like there's this big gap right there. That's how I've been seeing it because I've been talking about it. You know, yeah, that's true. Like if you want to get something that's 70% competitive and accurate, you could do that for a million bucks. You want it to be like 80% towards like a highly competitive product, you better, you might spend five million. You want to get like 90%. It's not quite world-class and not tripe leading, but you want to get to 90%. He's spent 30 million, like literally. It's, it's crazy, but what's going to happen, you know, it's going to get harder and harder for organizations to compete without higher quality entity resolution. Between the false positives and the false negatives where you're tapping on the wrong shoulder or, you know, looking stupid to your customers. I show up at a hotel. I go to check in. Hey, you would have your loyalty club. So I tell them my name. They go, which one of these is you? They name three people. They're all me. Like I have three, I'm in their club three times and they can't even fix it. It's crazy. It's, you're, you're, you're not making a good uh, vision, uh, kind of a, a pretty picture of the world. I mean, you're kind of saying that we're screwed. <clears throat> well, but the truth is, is that a lot of decisions are being made. And there's a lot of waste and a lot of bad decisions being made because people aren't counting their entities right. And it deserves some invest. They should either be investing in it buy or build, but why would you, why would anybody, do you think there's anybody out there that still is building their own spell check, grammar checker? I mean, they got their data scientists and they are fascinated with the art of doing grammar and spell checking themselves. Or do you think they're just using a library, <laughs> right? That's, that's what I'm trying to do, you know, is like, are you really, are you kidding me? Hmm. That, that's a great analogy right there. The, yeah. What are, I, are we at the no, point go ahead, Juan, yeah. Are we at the point of commoditizing entity resolution that can be the equivalent of a spell checker that you just call? Yeah, it? that's what that's what that's what that's what we're doing. Yeah. But I, again, so what has been the missing piece? Like what are what, what are what what are the principles that we that should be able to apply over and over again? Otherwise, it seems like everything's just going to be a particular a, a, a particular project for every single scenario that is not scalable to kind of replicate well uh for well, i don't know you know i built five different generations and i sold the fifth gen and then started the sixth gen but i told them the end when i was going to build it for them i was like 50 is any 50 million to build it they're like 50 million i go well, yeah but i'm going to build a sixth generation and it's going to cost 50 million <laughs> anyway because it's that hard but I don't know. You've got to see a lot of use cases to figure out how to build something that's generalized. Okay. Cause it's real easy to really get really narrow around a certain kind of entity with a certain set of features and study just that. But it took 
decades and a lot of different use cases to think about it, not in the particular. I did a blog post called it's a, there's a little, this has a little bit to do with it. Is I did a blog post a long time ago, ago called hell with rules. Okay. And the entity resolution space, a lot of times like, okay, if the names are this close, that's this score. And if the addresses are this close, it's this score. And then they're like, what about phone numbers and Twitter handles and telegram handles and blah, 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 blah. Oh, well, if this and that are true and this and that are true, and you get these growing like combinatorial lists of if these things are true and those things are false at what <clears throat> the amount of details and rules that you get just grows and grows and grows. I went and met this lady at a financial company. She goes, Hey, I'm just want to impress you. You know, I want you to know, I know who you are. You know what? We have 10,000 rules. I thought to myself, 10,000 rules. She's bragging to me about 10,000 rules. <clears throat> and so to, to, to trivialize all of this, it took me a few months to come back at her with the, the difference between rules and principles. And so in understanding, we built a principle-based system, but it basically goes like this. Your kid's throwing rocks at cars. You're like, hey, don't throw rocks at cars. But the next day they're throwing like, you know, sticks at buses or rocks at buses. You're like, okay, don't throw rocks and sticks at buses. The next day they're throwing them SUVs. Your kid's 35 year old throwing iPads at Segways. How many rules do you need? If you can't like get a principle going, you know? Is that like, part of the magic here? Is is think of it yeah. from a principle standpoint? Is is that some of the yeah. and, and and how do you even do that? Like is that a is that applying a it's more of a semantic understanding? There's well, there's two parts. One is uh, principles, and you know, I'll give you an example of a really simple principle is if somebody's identifier, like a passport ID, serial social security number, or in a car, VIN number or license plate number, or a router, serial number. IP address, but if an identifier and the name of it is, if the name is pretty close and the identifier is the same, you're probably good to go. Okay. That's a principle. You don't have to name all the identifiers in the world. Socials, Mac addresses, that, 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 that. Okay. So that's the principle. But then like Pirates of the Caribbean, Pirates of the Caribbean, number one, where the lady's on the ship and she looks at the captain and the captain goes, you know, we're going to walk, make her walk the plank. And she goes, I invoke rules of parlay. And the evil captain goes, actually, those are guidelines. Huh? You have to be able to let, if you don't want AI, because we have a real-time learning thing, but if you don't want it to go crazy, you know, like put some tape on the stop sign so it thinks it says 55, even though it doesn't say 55, it just goes crazy. Um, you have to operate on good guidelines. So we have a principle, simplest one. Hey, if it's an ID number and a name's pretty close, call it good to go. But the guideline would be, unless that ID number's oversubscribed, you know, like, like, if you have 50 people that has the same passport, like one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, that one's not any good, okay? So you get to a self-tuning system. The trick in all of this, though, is you've, you've, you've made a billion decisions, okay? And now you get record billion and one. And a record billion and one, you learn that the passport number of one, two, three, one, two, three is no good. In that moment, you have to say, now that I learned that, had I known that in the beginning, over the billion records I've seen, should I have made any decisions differently? You know, any smart system should be able to change its mind about the past. Real, true, real-time learning. By the way, you this. You ever do this? You're listening to somebody chat and you go like, I know what they mean. Then they say a few more things and you go, oh, now I know what they meant. That. You have to build, if you want to do real-time streaming learning systems like what we're doing in any resolution, that means every record you get, now that I learned this, if I learned something about the past, like, oh, that's not two, that's not a two, that, those two people aren't the same, that's a junior, senior. I, it wasn't known until this new observation. That's the hard part, by the way. Anyway, I'm blah blah blah. Well, I mean, that's interesting. It, it's a different. It, that's a different frame of mind, mm -hmm. and and sometimes it's not always a step forward, right? Because you 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 come up with a new principle, and you say, "Oh, wait a second, this is a different way than I should have been thinking about this." But maybe your past heuristic was actually better at being a predictor. Now you've got more work to do before you can get back to, uh, to back to where you were. So it seems like you're, you know, it's, it's a hard problem on two fronts, at least. What we are seeing is that we've, I just did a blog post about this recently because it was, I just made me crazy, man. It just made me crazy. They, they, they load a small data, what I would call a small data set. And then they want to tinker a little. And I said, no, just keep loading more data because with more data, because it can change its mind about the past, more data remedies tinkering. By the way, the kinds of tinker you're doing, it might look really good in your small data set with 10 million records. But as you really scale up to your billions of records, those things you're tinkering on, you're not even going to want those later. You know, it's about more more data brings. It's it's just like more evidence points, you know. And it's, and it, 
but is, is like, how do you integrate new observations into what you know? It's like a puzzle piece, man. A new puzzle piece shows up and you're trying to figure out where it belongs in the puzzle. Just like when you put a puzzle together at home, sometimes that one piece allows you to realize these two pieces are, these two chunks are connected. <clears throat> that's what's really, that's the mental model I have about what's happening inside of a, I'm going to take it up one level, a context engine. Context meaning understanding something by taking into account the things around it. Like you see the word bat in the sentence, you look at the words around it. That's the way data doesn't sing unless it's in context, okay? It doesn't tell you really what it is unless you can find the related pieces. And entity resolution is the first form of that. Oh, man, this episode is, has so many awesome quotes. Data doesn't sing unless it's in context. I just made um, that up, by the way. Should I drop a little TM on there? Yeah, you, you, yeah I mean, I will be quoting you on this one. I mean, we, we, we're going we're to get a bunch of T-shirts out with like quotes like this. That's definitely going to be on that one. All right. I, I, you've got my brain here thinking. So a couple of things. One is um, the lady who said they have 10,000 rules. Okay. How many principles are there? Here is my goal. Okay. And it's all imperfect because that's the world we live in. My goal was that I would have a, 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 the number of principles would fit on a screen, a single screen. You can look at them all at once. Okay. Not font, font size six. Okay. Um, and that the set of principles work, whether it's people data, company data, vessels, planes, routers, cars, same set of principles. It'll work in English. It'll work in Arabic, Cyrillic, Mandarin, no changes. Okay. That was the vision I started out with and how I did it, by the way, <clears throat> when I thought about this new invention, I'll call it this new method is radically different method. By the way, I originally called this project G2, not for Gen 2. Genus is a different species. Like if you looked at my first five generations, you can see how it grew up. Huh? You'd be like, oh, look at what he did to the schema. Well, that was nice. He normalized that and made that a type value pair. Cool. You can see it grow up. This new, this new thing, this is radical. What I did though, is I drew, I made, I made a little list of, I just said, I made columns. I said, people, uh, I had companies, then cars and routers. Okay. And I made examples of all the features of each, like, you know, people, you know, names and addresses and phone numbers and date of birth, da, 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 da. cars, make, model, VIN, color, da, da, da. So I just, I listed the common features for these. What we've been doing in entity resolution is you think about each domain uniquely. You look up underneath that column and go, what combinations of things with which weights should I drive these things together? And then you look over at cars and go, okay, good. Vins are always pretty good. Make and model those never change over a lifetime. <clears throat> what I did is I thought about it horizontally. I said, what is it about us as humans that and we can do entity resolution in new domains all the time? And I said, what is it about a social that makes it like a VIN? What's a VIN? How does that make it like a MAC address on a router? And it led me to behaviors, just a few behaviors. So you can pick a new entity type and you can just pick new features and you assign the features one of three behavior, three behaviors and you're done. Okay. But I, there, <laughs> there, is a, there, there has to be a number here, right? What is uh, it? Like 26. Right now I've got like 26, okay? Or 28 principles. By the way, now and then we, we add another one, okay? Or change one. But when we do, it's good for everybody. It's really weird. I can fix it, make it match vessels better for the Singaporean maritime project. And it makes it better for somebody doing uh, corporate supply chain data with uh, Sayari corporate data with corporate hierarchies. Like that's how I know I'm on the right track. Okay. Let me get a little bit philosophical here because I completely agree with you. This, this, what we're talking right now is for me, this is a demonstration that why computer science is actually a science. Because what we're seeing here is that we're studying, you're observing a phenomena here of computation. Of you're saying, if I, I look at this thing that I go down here, it's always <laughs> this, I mean, I make VIN, make model here, name, address, all these things. But then what you, what you observe here is like, oh, there's like a higher level abstraction, which applies to all these things. And then after seeing so many times over and over again, you realize, Oh, this is not applicable. This thing that I just observed is applicable to cars, to people, to vessels, to routers, and so forth. And I think something that we learn in computer science, or for me, actually, computer science is all about understanding the levels of abstractions. You figure out what level of abstractions you're going to be in, and you all, and maybe you also become a compiler. You like to focus, and I want to move between one level of abstraction to another. So for me, everything you're saying is just this is this is this is the phenomenon of computing. 
we are understanding the different levels of abstraction and we're solving a problem. If you had a higher level abstraction, the problem actually gets a little bit easier. Now, the thing is, have that insight to be able to see, realize, oh, this problem, we should look at this problem at a higher level abstraction. And hence my question, yeah. like if at a lower level abstraction, we're talking about 10,000 rules at a higher level abstraction, we're talking about what well, you're saying, 26 principles, um, or something. principles which in, in a way there's some sort of a rule here because you're saying identity can be can be can be considered uh by by x and y and x here can mean name and address and x can be make and y can be model and so forth now my you know, next another, question, a, another way to think about this is sometimes you go to solve the problem okay but a way to get it more abstract is to say what kind of thing can solve problems like this? Okay, instead of solving that, you're saying that's an example of a class of problems. Can I build something that can solve things like that? And that, again, okay. is computer science. You gotta wanna reduce a problem to something else. This is why this is so fascinating. Um, by the way, about catalogs, okay? A thing about catalogs, one of the ways I think about what we do and what we do in entity resolution is we, we have a little database, but it's just, it's a special index but it's like a card catalog at the library. You're not taking all the data from everywhere in the enterprise. You're taking the subject title author, like off the library cards, and you're putting it in a card catalog, okay? And that card catalog, you're rubber banding together the cards that relate to the same entity. And now you have a way to get a 360 degree view without having to move all the data. And by the way, the, how you keep, you know, maps at the library versus DVDs, uh, versus magazines, versus books, you know, each of those aisles can have different structures. But at the card catalog is where it all comes together. And I get my inspiration, by the way, did you know that there's a single part of the brain? Like if I said, uh, there's an artist who uh, drives a motorcycle that has passed away not long ago, um, whose name was a symbol. Okay, you just did entity resolution. Okay, to Prince. And in your head, you may have located a picture or the Purple Rain album cover. Your hippocampus did that. The hippocampus is the library card catalog of the brain. And I like to hang out with hippocampus researchers because I get the inspiration for my work on my engine because I'm really building the hippocampus. Ha! Wait, that's a secret. I love that. <laughs> that that's the cross-functional knowledge going across disciplines, right? Where you get the new aha moments. Yeah. Like, I'm a very curious cat, you know? So when I hang out with people, I track some down, you know? And I'm like, can I come hang out with you? If you're, in, if you're a brain researcher and you sit next to me on a flight across the country, you poor thing. Because <laughs> I want to know about, like, the details of that, especially that hippocampus. I have a feeling that that would be a very interesting conversation to observe. Um, you mentioned about, um, you know, catalogs and the context. Um, how does how does metadata tie into entity resolution and, and how does that become important? And, and is it important to do things like catalog your rules and things like that or catalog your principles or is that a little unnecessary really what you care about is more the end result of all of that yeah it's a little it's a little bit unnecessary to catalog maybe something that sits in one place and it's very short it sits on a you know you can etch it onto a piece of pepper, pepper. <laughs> I'm a small print um but you know if you think about uh, uh a bank account that gets opened uh, because a lot of our customers are like doing a, a transaction monitoring or fraud or sanction screening or something. You wouldn't pass an entity resolution engine, all the particulars about the money moving here and there. Those are interesting and rule-based for the rules and, and alerting. But the, the one type of metadata would just be what's the name, address, and account on the phone, and what's the identifiers of the entity on the other end. If he was said that's the metadata, that's the metadata you'd pass to uh, an entity resolution engine is the features that you need to be able to assemble something and index it. But then of course, like the library, it has the Dewey decimal number. It has the pointer back to the actual transaction or the actual account. And, and where, by the way, this is maybe important just for those, it's not obvious to maybe everybody that might be on listening is you have data that's your observations that are collected in lots of different piles and different forms. There's video from the parking lot and there's people onboarding in the loyalty club. 
But in the other end of the enterprise is, you know, decisioning systems that help focus human attention, drive, driving it to showing a human or a feedback loop to a user uh, or reporting. But in between is where the entity resolution happens. Entity resolution is you're taking your observation space and you're bringing, it's like lots of different puzzle pieces, you're bringing context to it. You're, it's a form of assembly. It's context construction. And so what comes out of entity resolution is an entity resolved graph. Then you send that to decisioning systems. You know, good news, bad news, sell it or shoot it. That's downstream from entity resolution. So, so I, I'm, I'm still, my mind's still at the, the, the principles. When I'm, I'm hearing everything you're saying. I'm like, okay, you've observed so many things throughout all your different generations of, of the entity resolution systems you've built, and you've identified these principles. I, I'm hearing this, I'm like, okay, there is some sort of what I would call an, an upper ontology some sort of, uh, of semantics that is applicable across so many different domains where you're <clears> representing <throat> things as, I mean, high-level abstraction as identities and stuff like that. You have a thing can be identified and so forth. Uh, and then you have rules associated to that. Where does, is this, is this? Uh, uh, well, let me, okay, let me go to a few things. I love this because uh, it's a conversation like this that helps me think about, you know, when I say some words, how do they really, how do they land, you know? <clears throat> At the front, I'll just use uh, uh, an entity engine, some, let's say somewhat like ours. It's a, you get a JSON message in you. you know, it's got a tag on it. This is name. Here's the name. Maybe there's an AKA. Address, label. It's a label, value, label, value, label, value. Okay? Some data sources, the address is a bag of words. Like in a banking Swift message, is a bag of words. A bag, you know, just a bag. Huh? Other addresses, address one, two, three, four. Or address one, two, city, state, zip. So different sources have different assemblies of those, but ultimately those are tagged as addresses. What an entity engine needs is it just needs to know that's an address and that's a name. And it should just take care of that and do the, do the right thing with it. Okay. Now, but one organization might have some other, some features that weren't conceived of. Like they, maybe somebody's doing a project in, in, um, uh, in, in South Asia or in, in Malaysia. Now they need a Malaysian citizenship ID as a field. Well, they should be able to introduce that. They should be able to introduce a new field, you know, without having to restructure a database or and everything, huh? But then there, there needs to be, so there's still work that needs to be done about mapping, let's say, the existing, yes. yeah. the existing metadata, yeah. the existing systems to the to the principles you have. I mean, I- Not I mean, to the principles. You don't matter. Not, not, not to the principles. Well, I mean- not, not, No, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna clear it up really easy. All right, clear it up. There's a, for every entity, there's a list of features. Name, address, phone, cars, make, model, color, whatever, yeah. okay? What, what you do in a principle-based engine like Sensing is for each feature, you just tell it three, we have just three principles. I'll tell you what they are, man. I'll take all the mystery out of this. The number one feat, principle, or I'll call it behavior. It's the way you do principles is you, is you map the features to three behaviors. One of them is frequency. Remember, these are guidelines like Pirates of the Caribbean, okay? Huh? The frequency, so it's not like, what is it? It's like generally, okay? Generally. Frequency is generally when you see this value, does it relate to one entity, a few, or a lot? A date of birth. Does, when you see a date of birth, does it generally, does that value generally relate to one person, just a few, or a lot? A lot. So you give it frequency many. A home address, frequency few, and if it's a, uh, your email or cell phone or a social security number, frequency one. Again, it's just generally. That's one of the behaviors. So give me, jump to vessels, okay? Vessels have what's called an uh, IMO number. It's stamped on the hull, man. It's like a VIN number on a car. Frequency one. If you see an IMO number, it's probably that vessel. If you find 50 vessels that are all zero, 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 then it means that one ain't so good, Okay. The second behavior is exclusivity. When you see this feature, do, do entities tend to have more than one of these or just one of these, okay? A car that has a make or a model. How many makes or models can a car have? Like, have you ever seen a car that's like two models? No. So it's exclusive. A social security number person generally has one, okay? But not a credit card number. So a credit card number is a behavior, is a frequency one, but not exclusive. But a date of birth, you're only supposed to have one, uh, other than my bad daddy story, okay? And, and, and the third behavior 
is stability. Over the course of the life of the entity, it tends to say the same. You know what? A credit card number doesn't because, you know, somebody steals your credit card number, you got to cancel that little sucker and get another one. Okay, but your social security number does. So if social security number is a frequency one exclusive because you should have one, that tends to stay stable. So my rules, call them principles, my principles aren't about the names of the features. It's only about the behaviors. Okay, it just literally the principles are, hey, man, if things have identifiers but have nothing else that disagrees, okay? And now you can use the same set of principles. I remember I dreamt this up in my head, okay, with this exercise. And my number two, and working with me for years, went off to Singapore to work on a project, started putting vessels in there. I remember the day he called, he goes, you're not going to believe this. We're doing really good matching on vessels, and we didn't have to change any rules. I was like, yeah, okay, fine. Don't fire me. <laughs> okay, I hope that, you know. This, I, I was getting this wrong. I, I, I truly thought that you were doing things more kind of a, and, and I, I have a higher level abstraction of the features to kind of uh, some description that of, of what an identifier could be for multiple entities. But no. you're looking at this more from the distribution of the data, right? Like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And then in real time, I mean, real time, thousands of transactions a second, we have a statistics table on the distribution how many, not how many times have we seen a, a date, but how many entities have that date? Not how many, how many times have we seen the phone number, how many entities have that phone number? And we, and then we, and that's at absolute real time where we keep those counts, okay, for every feature. And then as it's ingesting, it's using, if you have something that's a frequency one, but it's behaving like a frequency few or frequency many, it's just self-corrects it. Not just corrects it when it sees it, for the future, it goes back in time and goes, oh, well, no, no, that. <clears throat> like a system may, you know, George Foreman named all five of his boys George and one of his daughters Georgetta, okay, or Georgina or something. You don't know that going in. But over time, as you get more data, you discover those, these, call them glitches in the universe, you know, or where the guideline's not true in this case. And then you want to be able to just change your mind about the past. You don't have to reload. Interesting. You know, when you talk about these principles you know one of the things that i wonder about the state of art of entity resolution is how much can work out of the box how much needs tailoring to your business or to your own policies and things like that right and how much of it is um domain specific like i need to understand insurance or health or doesn't matter that's naval like domains you know things like that right doesn't how, matter like, how does that spread look not it, it's so different now you know if you asked me 10 years ago before this latest sixth gen different species that we've been working on i would say at least 80 percent of the people that open us out of the box don't have to change a single switch and i'm talking about voter registration modernization to uh to healthcare, this and that, and fraud over here. And, you know, we just had a great project. Uh, one of our partners, Code for America, did, used our engine for a, a project to um, the clean slate law in Utah. You know, there's a law, you know, there's certain kinds of felonies. They like get rid of those so they don't, they're not felons anymore, so they can vote and get access to better jobs. The small little any resolution probably all run in memory. 80%, <clears throat> man, all just run the same without any any tinkering. And if you do need to tinker, see, this was a big lesson, by the way. Okay. Back in the day, my fifth generation engine, it would be like this. You would say to me, is it configurable? I'd brag. Here's what I would do. I would open up the cockpit on the, on the 747 or the Dreamliner, whatever you, and I would show you all the buttons and I'd go marvel, marvel at the configurability. You know what I'm telling you? I'm telling you the manual's 2,000 pages. You need 2,000 hours in the co-pilot seat, <clears throat> okay? And that, you can't commoditize something if something that's complicated. And that's been the state of the union, okay? And the principles piece is a way that generalizes to you can get, you can do different missions with different features. Now, we've been specializing in people and company data, but we've had others do, you know, other entity types, but it's, Little, little, it can be a little more work, but anyway, that's the vision is you shouldn't have to tinker. And if you do need to tinker, I'd be surprised if anybody had to flip more than five switches. I mean, I mean, maybe if you have to tinker, it's maybe two. 
And usually they're sorry. Like later they'll come back and go, wow, we should have just left it default. <clears throat> I think that's exciting. This is a, this is a sign of, of usability and it's a sign of, you know, maturation takes an interesting path, right? Where things get more complicated and then at some point, ideally they get simpler. And that's cool to see this finally taking and hitting that inflection point. You know, back like a year ago or two, I'd be like, all you got to do is put it in your mouth and chew. And then I realized people want it easier than that. Now I look, tell my team, I'm like, I need it to dissolve under their tongue. You hear me? I need it <laughs> to they just put it under their tongue and it dissolves. They don't even need to chew. <laughs> and, and, and that turns out where a lot of the work is now is just how to make it easier, and easier, like less and less work. You know, like on the mapping side, if you have to tell people they've got to parse and figure out the first name from the last name. And it, it's one bag of words and now they have to split the name. That's a lot of extra work, you know. So, you know, we have a machine learned algorithm that's got been trained on 850 million names. Like it not only knows, you just give it a bag of words. It not only knows first name and last name, it knows an Arabic name. And if it's an Arabic name, it knows Ben and Haj aren't part of the name. And by the way, if you're going to match a, a name, in, uh, in a Chinese name versus a name from a Ukraine or Russia, you better use an entirely different algorithm, man. So you have to know the culture of the name and then matching the culture. You spend tens of millions doing good name matching. If you want to be a global company, it's crazy. <laughs> you know, uh, just before we go to our lightning round here, uh -oh. um, we, uh, you know, chat GPT and a lot oh, of yeah. the stuff that's going on here. Oh, Exciting yeah. stuff. Um, super clever. Um, but also, you know, doesn't necessarily... <laughs> You know, it's like the smartest, dumbest thing you've ever seen, right? Um, and uh, just curious about, do you, what do you think about that, that, that craze? And is there any relationship to, uh, to entity resolution, you know, now or in the future? You know, it might not surprise you, but it turns out chat GT, GPT and things like that are going to need to be able to have counted entities. I've seen two people now go ask chat GPT to give them a bio. It sends them to school in places they've never been. They got a PhD in Oxford, okay? It turns out but they're going to need entity resolution. They're going to need a resolved entity graph to get to their next uh, next level. So it's, it's not everywhere. there. It's everywhere. When you put entity resolution glasses on and look around, it's in AML, KYC, Insider Thread, CRM, vendor supply chain, <clears throat> nonprofits, <sighs> All right. So, the, so this is a good this is a good segue into our lightning round question because I got a couple we got a couple of things here lined mm -hmm. up. There. So uh, all right, let's move uh, to the lightning round, which is presented by Data World. Uh, I'll go first. In the next ten years, will we have democratized entity resolution? It's done. Oh, it's done. Not yet. Okay. It's done. I'm not. We are. Uh, I'm telling you, it's done. We don't need 10 years? No. That's I mean, more can be done, but I'm just telling you, it's that's yeah. done. <clears throat> I get All people right. asking me my roadmap. I'm like, you don't even use half the stuff we already do. I, my Swift Ar Swiss Army knife has got so many things in it. No, done. <laughs> Next. That's exciting. Hey, uh, second lightning round question. This actually harkens back to our previous episode where we talked about master data management. Is MDM dead? No, but it's caused so many bruises and limps and hobbles that it causes a lot of angst when people think that they might have the next $3 million project that goes two years and then gets canceled, you know. <clears throat> but, you know, MDM is really about getting your entities better, match, better managed, you know. There is a, it's a little bit of a falsity to say there's a single version of truth. But being able to properly count your entities and know how they represent each other through your observation space is as, 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 as essential as ever. All right, next question. So you mentioned data scientists. They don't build spell checkers. They grab a library. Um, will entity resolution just become like that, a simple, That's pluggable library? Done. We literally shoved our $50 million investment to 6Gen into a DLL or a shared object in one that's where most of our customers do. It's done. That's incredible. I'm, I'm getting very excited now. Um, all right. Fourth and final lightning round question. 
Are what? we trending toward entity resolution? Sort of not the fact that you can have a library, because obviously that makes things very easy, but like the art of entity resolution. Are we trending towards it becoming harder as time passes? I, I, the trending will be there's a lot of really great data scientists that are spending time on something where they could spend their time on something that's actually more interesting and more valuable. For example, the, the risk scoring models that come after entity resolution, okay, to make higher quality decisions. So the trend's going to be a change of allocation about where you put your smart people. It's not going to be on, I'll call it the mundane task. Who would have thunk that it's so hard to match Beth to Elizabeth? Really? So, so the just, trend is going to be a change where instead of people trying to, I mean, it's going to, it's going to be a hard problem. And as data gets more complex, et cetera, et cetera, that's going to continue to make it hard. But if, smart people are building great libraries that are democratized uh, that allow people to do this kind of stuff and people can spend their, their time on, on better, more valuable things. You know what? It's about outsourcing entropy. It's the second law of thermodynamics. The universe is trying to break itself into little pieces, spread out and cool off. Okay. And we use the food we eat in teams to fight entropy. That's what we're doing. You do not want to have your own team. Do you have somebody at your company writing your own, uh, credit card settlement? No, you would use Stripe. You outsource that entropy. Why would you? Why would be using your energy to fight that? That's what I'm trying to do in Entity Resolution. Is uh, we're going to slay your entropy for you. This has been a phenomenal conversation. All I'm just thinking is like, I just want to sit. I think Tim and I were just back channeling. Like, I just want to sit in the bar and just have a drink with you. And just you guys haven't had a single drink. I started with this glass full. Guys, so. Oh, hey, that was pretty uh, good. I I already wasted all of mine, so. <laughs> really? <clears throat> how did I miss it? Okay, well, I'm impressed. Uh, and, and and with that, let's see how much we impress you because it's takeaway time. So, Tim, TTT, Tim takes us away with takeaways. We've been taking notes while we've been having our drink here about everything we discussed. All right. Yes, Tim's takeaways. So, we, we started off with, you know, what is what is entity resolution? And you mentioned uh, it's counting your entities. Um, and, you know, don't overthink it. It's really about looking at those entities, counting them. And when we look at all these different things like linking, deduplicating, uh, matching, fuzzy matching, uh, mastering, a lot of these things are actually ultimately talking about the same thing, figuring out how things are related to each other and, and counting them. Um, and we got into what's the state of entity resolution today? Uh, and you really gave us a, a little history lesson that things have, have evolved and changed. They've obviously gotten a lot better. You've been at the forefront of a lot of innovation as things have gone from, you know, Gen 1 to Gen 2 to Gen 3 and so on. Um, but, you know, the past approach has always been expensive, complicated. The results are iffy. It's hard to do yourself. The biggest companies are spending big dollars trying to solve these problems so that they can move the needle a little bit and get just a little bit better, right? Um, and uh, as you get to larger scales, more real time, you can't do it all in memory. The approach has to change and it gets pretty complicated. Entity resolution, therefore, has been kind of for the elite. Uh, and you mentioned, wouldn't it be great if it was free or open or more accessible and, uh, you know, the more common uh, uh, people and companies could take advantage and, and spend less time trying to solve this problem. Um, and, uh, and that feels like a really good approach and a good principle here. It gets harder and harder for companies to compete as they get more of this duplicate data, complex data. And the truth is that a lot of bad decisions have been made because we're not counting our entities. Juan, what about you? What were your takeaways? So, so, so several more here. So one, Jeff, you, you have been seeing this for so, for so long, right? So you have to really see all the use cases to know how to go build something that can work as a general platform. And that's what you've been able to go do. And I love this. Like, oh, I got 10,000 rules. It's like, really? Is that something you should be proud of? For, uh, <laughs> no, right? And, and anything and interesting here, kind of common to yours, is like any smart system should learn about the past and make changes based on that past for the future. Like, so that, that, that's, that's a very important thing. And how do you integrate the new objects as they go? It's like a puzzle piece, right? Like, oh, I think these two things go together, but another puzzle piece will come in and like you'll realize, oh, they don't go together and so forth. So uh, data doesn't sing unless it's in context. That is a quote I'm going to put on a T-shirt. And I'll give it to you. I love that. And it's all, and this is all imperfect because we live in an imperfect world, right? That We just have to accept that. The principles. I, I think this, if there is the main takeaway, it's about the principles. 
don't throw rocks at cars versus don't st throw stuff at other stuff, right? You want to be able to have those principles. And what you've been able to observe over over your over your your career is like you kind of brought this down to like 26 principles. What you've I really like that there are really behaviors of the data that you're observing here. <clears throat> Talked about the three principles: frequency. Generally, when you see this value, does it, does it relate to one entity, a few, or a lot? Second, exclu exclusivity. Does an entity have one of it or many of these things? And stability. Does it tend to stay the same? <clears throat> this is an amazing aha moment for me. In, in actually looking at this as behaviors of the data, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and in, in the past, you would have all these configurations. We were very proud of the configurations. Like, go into my cockpit. Look at all the knobs you can go to. <laughs> now, today, you should not be proud of that. And actually, we should probably offer five, two, five max. And probably when they'll come back, they should have said, I should have left it in default. Um, we brought up catalogs for a second here. I mean, this is catalog and cocktails. Um, and I think entity resolution is like you need to have a database like the card catalog because you want to keep track of all the features here that can give and provide some extra context. Because remember, data doesn't sing unless it's in context, and the catalog will have that context. And then finally, chat GPT, it will it's gonna need entity resolution around here, otherwise, it's uh, a lot of uh great creative BS. <laughs> All right, how did we do? What did we make? Man, miss? you guys like have summarized my life in just a few minutes. I while well, I drink the pina colada. <laughs> the spark notes of Jeff Jonas. <laughs> there we go. All right. So to wrap this up, Jeff, back to you. Three final questions. What's your advice about data, life? Who should we invite next? And what resources do you follow? People, blogs, conferences, books, so forth. I I'll take that backwards. On uh, on I like to follow on Twitter. I like to follow terrible maps. It's really funny. On conferences, I like the GeoInt conference. And just a thing about both of those is a, where things are and when and how they move are the highest order bits. If you're trying to do really interesting analytics, geospatial data yeah, is super food for analytics. Okay, so. Funny side on the maps, and then the GeoIn conference, uh, where people are obsessed with geospatial. The uh, would be two two go tos. Um, Danny Hillis, oh man, that guy. Do you know Danny Hillis? I so so I would love an introduction, Danny Hillis. Danny Hillis, I know him from <clears throat> the Connection <clears throat> Machine back in the eighties during the early expert systems and non-parallel computers and stuff. My PhD advisor was Dan Maranker, and at the same time they were doing kind of all these parallel uh, rule engines. And then one of the things I find fascinating about Danny Hillis is just how he's kind of seen the future, right? Jump around afterwards, he founded Meta MetaWeb, which was Freebase, which is the foundation yeah. of Google's knowledge graph. Like this is a guy who has seen kind of the, seen the future and built it and been there. If I would love to have Danny Hillis. Oh, I, can, I, I can make that happen. Do you, by the way, do you know about his 10,000 year clock? I have heard about this, but don't know the details. That's his, that's his invention. This is a clock that runs for 10,000 years without hooking up to any power. It's, uh, okay. And then I, I don't, here's a piece of advice I've never shared, okay, I, that I could, at least not public, I've shared to a few people. <clears throat> As you go through life, if you're creating a group of people that hate you, that don't like you in back in the back halls, they say negative things about you. Don't underestimate the weight of that versus creating goodwill. Okay. You want the people that have been through your life on a journey to be in the back room when no one's looking saying generally good things about you. Okay. And I, and I say that because I've seen, I've seen two cases now where people didn't put care to that. And you know what? It's like having a bunch of a small army with people. They're just waiting with a ship to stab you. Okay. So anyways, yeah, that's my advice. Makes the future better. Very profound. I like how we started and we ended here with very profound advice. <laughs> Came back to relationships. Yes. <laughs> and I'm seeing this comment here on, on LinkedIn. Takeaway, the final takeaway, just to kind of put the stamp here, entity resolution is a thing that has been resolved. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Well, an entity, you know, uh, yeah, probably an entity. It's still a real-world entity, you know, to be entity resolution, but whatever. It's so making a decision about You're asserting something. You know, you're asserting something true, and then you're willing to change your mind about it if you need to. Receive a certainty correct when necessary. 
All right, before we say quick goodbye, just a reminder, next week we have Mohammed Said, who's from Capco. We're going to be talking about metadata. Is that really a graph problem or not? And uh, with that, Jeff, this has been a pleasure. This has been a phenomenal conversation. And I can't wait to meet you in person and go sit at a bar and go just chat and just hear all your stories. You are a fascinating, not fascinating individual, phenomenal storyteller. I prefer nut job. Hey, thanks, guys. Cheers. Thanks so much, Jeff. This is one. Catalog yeah. and Cocktails. A special thanks to Data.World for supporting the show, Carly Berghoff for producing, John Loyans and Brian Jacob for the show music, and thank you to the entire Catalog and Cocktails family.